The title of my talk today is called Covered with His Feathers. I'd just like to begin with kind of a disclaimer. Um, I want you to, I want to make sure that you understand that um, although the story that I'm going to tell you is part of my personal story, um, the story's not really about me. In most of these incidences that I describe to you, you'll see that I'm more or less a passive observer. This story is really about God and what, what he has done for my benefit and for his glory. I'd like to thank Sarah especially for that children's story about bad days. As I listened to that story, I, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about my presentation before in that light. But in a sense, I have assembled a string of bad days together <laughs> as part of my personal testimony. Or rather, I should say, what looks like a bad day, but which, uh, due to God's intervention, due to God's leading, I can look on those bad days and rejoice and praise God uh, for the work that he did. When I first tried to assemble my, my personal testimony, I thought about the course of my life and someone of my age, uh, you would think that I would probably by now have assembled enough um, God encounters, enough, exam enough examples of God's grace, his leading, his providences that, that I could fill a half dozen sermons easily. But to be honest, after I've told you the handful of experiences that I'll tell you today, I'm not sure that there would be enough left over for a sequel. I begin to wonder, why, why is that? Why is it that we don't have more personal encounters with God, things that, we, that come to mind readily when we want to give our personal testimony? But I can think of at least three reasons why maybe that's the case. The first reason, I think, is, you know, we're really just not paying attention. In 1 Kings chapter 19, God's speaking to Elijah, and the Lord passed by, and he told Elijah to stand upon the mount. And there was a great and strong wind that rent the mountains and broke the rocks, but we're told that the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a great devastating fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a still small voice. Beloved, the, the enemy always makes sure that there are plenty of distractions in our lives. Have you experienced this? We all tend to focus on, on the wind and the earthquake and the fire. We're all distracted by such little things in our life, the urgent ringing of the telephone that, that cries out, pay attention to me. So unless we make an intentional concerted effort, it's really very difficult to hear that still small voice and get the blessing that, that God longs to, to give to us. 
Psalm 46.10 says, Be still, be still, and know that I am God. You know, I think another reason why we don't have so many God encounters that come to mind readily is, well, to be truthful, maybe we only make half-hearted efforts in our Christian walk. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You shall find me when you search with all your heart. Now, is this, is this an arbitrary condition that, that God applies? Is God somehow reluctant to reveal himself to us? I mean, does God set up some artificial hurdle of requiring 100% of our heart in order to prevent some of us from finding him? Well, no, of course not. You know, I think this verse is simply an acknowledgement of a basic law of the human mind. It really takes into account how we're wired. How do, you, how do you become a professional athlete? If there's some sport that you're interested in, you excel in, you must pursue that activity with all your heart. It reminds me of the old joke, two people walking down the street and one says to the other, excuse me, can, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? And the other one says, sure, practice, practice, practice. If we wanna become a famous musician, we wanna become a famous musician, um, we have to practice our skill. We have to pursue that discipline with all our heart. Gentlemen, how do you marry the girl of your dreams? You pursue her with all your heart. Shout out to my dear wife who has a birthday today. How do you find God? God promises you will find me. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And, and lastly, I, I can think of a third reason why these God encounters are, are not so prominent in our thinking, why maybe we have trouble remembering them, is we, we tend to focus on the dramatic, on the sensational. You know, maybe we overlook, we minimize the little things, the little blessings, those little God encounters that happen each and every day that we, eh, we're used to it. It's just normal. We don't think twice about it. I'll give you an example. There was uh, an older woman in the church I went to previously. And most every time she had an opportunity to pray or to give a little short testimony, she would usually begin by saying, I want to thank God for waking me up this morning. Maybe you've heard someone say a, a prayer like that, a praise like that. But first, I don't think I'd heard someone say that before, and I, I wasn't quite sure to make of that. It seemed a little bit strange. I want to thank God for waking me up this morning. But beloved, I, I tell you that um, the older I get, the more I realize that one day, if Jesus doesn't come back too soon, the sun will rise one morning and David Taylor will not. Let's not ignore those little blessings, those constant, that constant flow of grace that, that God pours into our lives. So a little about my background. 
um, I was raised in a Christian home. It was um, basically an Adventist home. My mother was an Adventist. My father was a Christian. He was a Presbyterian. And uh, he never joined the Adventist church. But he was quite happy to let mom take uh, me and my two siblings to church. So we were all raised uh, in the Adventist faith. I was baptized at a fairly early age. I think I was around 13 years old. Maybe not a lot of um, those outstanding um, God encounters to talk about in my early childhood. But I want to tell you a story that happened about 1980. I was an undergraduate at the University of Memphis. It was called Memphis State University at the time. And uh, I was working part-time, a little job as a cashier at a convenience store called Quicksack. And I was a full-time student. You know, God has always blessed me with work. Um, I would pretty much say I've had a job every day of my life since I was about 14. Well, one Sabbath afternoon after church, after lunch, I got a call from my boss at Quicksack. Now, he knew I was an Adventist. He knew I wasn't available to work from Friday sundown till Sabbath, Saturday sundown. But they had had a problem. They were shorthanded, and he wondered if I would be willing to work Sunday afternoon, the 3 to 11 shift. Well, I was uh, young and energetic and uh, didn't have much money, so I was always anxious and willing uh, to earn more money. So I said, sure, not a problem. But as I hung up the phone on that Sabbath day, I immediately heard a voice that said, you are going to be shot. I've never had an experience like that before. Needless to say, I was a bit unsettled. When I say I heard a voice, I thought this thought in my head. But it wasn't me thinking it. I experienced it just as if someone had said those words out loud, but yet I knew that my ears weren't involved in this process. This unwelcome, almost unthinkable message had uh, popped up in my brain. It was a very strange sensation. Well, needless to say, I, I was shaken up by this. I it, it was such an intense experience that I, I couldn't think about much else for the next 24 hours. I really wasn't looking forward to, to going to work Sunday afternoon. And I thought about calling my boss and backing out of this responsibility, but I did, I'd already told him that I would go and I didn't really have an excuse for not going. Uh, at least not an excuse that I was willing to share with my boss at that time. So the next day, I, I went to work. Uh, really, to be honest, I was kind of fearing for my life. Uh, you might say that I have a highly developed, uh, but maybe somewhat displaced um, sense of duty. Uh, I showed up because I, I told him I would, but um, I knew things just might not go well on this day. Well, the hours passed by uneventfully. It was a typical Sunday afternoon. 
many of the usual customers would come in. It was fairly quiet. And about nine o'clock, I can remember looking up at the clock and began to relax a little. I, we closed at 11. There were only really a couple more hours to go. And I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it, was, it was just my imagination. I began to kind of doubt that message. But shortly after that, a customer came in. I didn't know the customer by name, but he had been in there before. He wouldn't come in often, but I had seen him. He had three or four items that he laid down on the counter in front of me, and I rang them up. And as I turned to tell him his total, he was pointing a pistol at me. He said something, but I don't know if I was such an, in such an altered state of mind that I wasn't hearing well, or he was nervous and uh, spoke in kind of a muffled or difficult to understand voice. But his meaning was clear, no matter what words he used. But despite this uh, premonition, this advance warning of what was going to take place, I, I still found myself uh, almost frozen. I was unable to process what was going on. I couldn't still, for some reason, quite believe that what I was seeing before me was really happening. Well, I was a little too slow, I guess, for him. He was uh, ready to get out of that place. And so he fired the gun just off my left shoulder into a cigarette display that was behind me. My friends, I, I don't know, I hope that none of you have ever been on the wrong end of a firearm, but I, I can tell you that is the loudest sound that I have ever heard. I got the full muzzle blast from that pistol. And in fact, I really couldn't hear out of that ear for, for hours um, after this experience. Well, that shot convinced me that I should do something. And so I reached out and I pushed a button on the register. The drawer opened and I stepped back. The young man bent over the counter, reached over, grabbed a couple of handfuls of cash. And fortunately for me, to my great relief, he ran out of the store without firing an additional shot. That happened about 40 years ago. You know, I still have a lot of questions about that experience. One day, not too far in the distant future, I hope to find a, a nice shady spot underneath the tree of life and ask some questions about the background of what was going on. I mean, I wonder, did that, did that armed robber, did he intentionally miss me? Or did my guardian angel just give a little nudge to his arm so that he shot off to the side. Why was there this discrepancy between the message that I heard, you're going to be shot, and the events that actually transpired? Perhaps if I had been a little more prayerful in my daily life, a little more studious, in my Bible reading routine, maybe I would have heard a little clearer that message. 
I mean, why did God bless me with this premonition at all? Did, did it modify the outcome of the event? Psalms 23.4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I'm glad that I had this premonition. I don't know how things might have been different in my mind if I hadn't had this kind of advance warning. But I do derive comfort from the fact that God was giving me a big hug, you might say. He wanted me to know that something traumatic was about to occur in my life. But yet he knew from the beginning. He knew what would happen. And his presence was there. And, and for that, I'm, I'm thankful. Steps to Christ, page 100. Easy to remember, page 100 of Steps to Christ. There are a couple of paragraphs um, that are very encouraging. And I encourage you to, to read them this afternoon. Part of it says, nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. Well, by 1995, Debbie and I, uh, we were married. We were living in Hillsborough, North Carolina. And we were expecting our first child. Isaiah 65, verse 1, verse 24, kind of apply to this next story. Verse 1 says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And verse 24 says, before they call, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. You know, God sometimes supplies a solution before we even know we're in trouble. One day I came home from work and Debbie said she had had this really strange experience with a neighbor across the street. We had never met our neighbor. They had moved in after, after we did. They lived directly across the street from us. But this lady of the house came over and she introduced herself as Priscilla and uh, said that she was a nurse. She told Debbie that she had had a dream that if she would let us babysit her two sons, then God would bless her. Now, forgive me, forgive me, but when I heard this, I said, wait, 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 no. How, how does this work? So we have to keep her two sons, but she gets the blessing. You know, the, the inference for me was, what's in it for me? Forgive me for uh, that that unfaithful thought. But I was about to find out what was in it for me later. But we agreed to it. Her, her sons were, they were good kids. They were uh, not, not infants. They were uh, probably five, six, seven, the two brothers in that range. And, and they were quiet, uh, no problem at all. So we got to know the family a bit, um, all because of Priscilla's dream. Our daughter, Hope, was born uh, a few months after this encounter. Uh, some of you have met her. She and her husband have uh, visited here in Westchester around holidays. And Hope seemed to be a healthy baby uh, until about five or six weeks. 
after she was born, we began to notice her breathing. We were a little worried about her breathing. Uh, she seemed to be gasping for air a little bit. One Sabbath morning, we were dressed for church. We were going to go to church in Sabbath school. And uh, Debbie commented that she had stopped nursing. She didn't seem to be interested in food anymore. And her breathing seemed a little more labored. Well, what did we know? We were new parents. We weren't sure, but we were concerned. And so, you know, we thought, well, let's call it Priscilla. Maybe she can come over with her stethoscope and she can examine Hope. And so we called up Priscilla, and of course, she, she came right over. She listened to Hope's breathing, and, and she said, well, there's, there's nothing that is too dramatic that, that has me worried, but you know, for your own peace of mind, just out of an abundance of caution, why don't you just take her to the ER to have her checked out? You, you'll feel better. Well, we saw the wisdom in that. And so instead of going to church, we were in our, our Sabbath best, but we, we went to the ER at uh, University of North Carolina Hospital where Hope had been born just about six weeks earlier. Well, they did some examination of her and the, the key diagnostic turned out to be an X-ray. They X-rayed her chest and they found she had a pneumothorax. She had a, a huge air pocket in her chest cavity and that had collapsed one lung actually and shifted her heart over to the center of her body kind of out of place. So she was, she was not in, in good shape. Um, it, it turns out that Hope had been born with a, a lung defect. Um, it's called CAM, they call it uh, cystic adenomatoid malformation. It's a condition where the lung does not completely develop uh, correctly. Uh, and because of that, at birth, typically you get these, uh, this development of a pneumothorax. But usually this is discovered within a day or two of birth and, and children never go home to the hospital without this being discovered. Um, Hope's condition was maybe not very severe. There was only a small leakage of air. And so it took five or six weeks for this to really develop. Well, they tried to make the situation better by putting in a chest tube to express some of that uh, air and to uh, give Hope, uh, Hope some relief. But it had a limited effect. And so they immediately rushed our six week old off to emergency surgery. Well, that's not the way we had anticipated this Sabbath day going. But <clears throat> the surgery was successful. And Hope was in the pediatric ICU for several days after that. Um, I don't remember, it could have been a week, but it, it was uh, a time full of dark days, as you can imagine. There was a small waiting room for the pediatric ICU, and we basically lived there uh, for the next several days. Um, it's interesting in those conditions, uh, the other people that you meet there who also have their stories. And as you begin to learn the names of their children and the conditions that have put them in intensive care, this uh, spontaneous support system just kind of naturally develops. And so we, we praise God that we could, we could share um, our grief, our trauma with other individuals who, who knew exactly what we we're going through and who were going through similar things. There's a beautiful quote in the book, Desire of Ages on page 34 that applies to troubles like this. It says, worry is blind and cannot discern the future 
but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Beloved, we are in good hands. We are in excellent hands. The hospital strongly encouraged us to go home to sleep in the evenings because it was pretty much impossible to sleep there. You had to uh, sleep sitting up, slumped over. Uh, You didn't really get much rest. And so one night we were going home after a long day at the hospital. We were tired, we were stressed, and the house just seemed so empty. You know, we had been there living in the house for several years before hope came along, but but parents, you know, you know how it is. Um, even though we had only had her in our lives for a short time, we, we could not imagine our lives without her. Well, I checked our phone messages, and we had a message from a couple that we used to know back in Tallahassee, Florida. And we had left Tallahassee about 10 years ago. It was a message from uh, Tony and, and Charlene. They had been friends sort of, you know, we had done things with them. Uh, It's not like that we were terribly close friends. They were busy, we were busy. I was in school, Debbie was working, Uh, but they were people that we would consider friends. And so we were a little surprised to hear from them after 10 years, but through the grapevine, probably through my uh, wife's sister who still lived in Tallahassee at that time, they found out what was going on with us and with our daughter Hope. And they said, you know, we just called to tell you that we're praying for you, that we're thinking of you. I still remember 25 years later, that little phone phone call, that little short message, um, how those words really lifted us up, how the house seemed just a little less dark and we seemed a little less alone. Just a few words can really do wonders in those kinds of situations. So my friends, I, I would like to encourage you, if whenever you have thoughts of con- reaching out to someone, sending them an email, a text message, a phone call, sending them a card, um, please follow through with that. I know how busy everyone is. It seems like it's almost impossible to even add a small task to our over, over long to-do list but you really have the power to make a real difference in in someone's life. Here, 25 years later, I still can remember the lift that that little phone call gave me. To be honest, you know, like I said, Tony and Charlene weren't really close friends. If it hadn't been for that phone call, I might've forgotten Tony and Charlene by now, but uh, praise God for their goodness, for their kindness. Um, I will forever be grateful in my heart for them. Deuteronomy 8.17 says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, sometimes we take our jobs for for granted. Um, During this time, there's a lot of people who are unemployed, uh, and maybe you're not taking a job for granted, you're, you're wishing you had a job, but employment is um, a major theme in all of our lives, right? We have to provide for ourselves. In 2006, I was working for 
uh, the same company I work for now, a pharmaceutical company uh, in research, discovery research. And I left home um, to go to work like usual. It was on my birthday, 2006 on my birthday. And I was a little nervous though about how that day would unfold. Just yesterday, just the day before this, we had suddenly gotten an invitation to a department meeting. So, you know, these things are usually scheduled weeks in advance, if not months in advance. And so this sudden calling of a department-wide meeting mm, cannot be a good thing. No way that was a good thing. So I was worried about this. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't think there would any, any good would come out of that. Well, as I pondered my situation, I had a 25-minute commute. So I was thinking about what the day might hold. I accelerated on the on-ramp on Interstate 40, and I immediately noticed a car in front of me with a vanity license plate that said two words. It said, yet trust. Well, that kind of caught my attention, yet trust. You know, I often saw repeats of the same vanity license plate um, because of other fellow travelers were commuting about the same time I was. So there was a, a vanity plate that I remember that said rabbits. There was an equally cryptic moose number zero that I would see you know, from week to week. Just occasionally, we were traveling along the same piece of highway at the same time. But I had never seen the yet trust message, and I never saw it after that. But I thought about what that phrase might mean to the dri driver, and I, I began to think about what it, it might mean to me in view of what I was facing today, which I, I wasn't really sure what it was. Traffic was heavy, as it, it usually is on the interstate, and after a few minutes, I kind of lost sight of the yet trust car as we migrated on eastward on Interstate 40 until I went to get off at Page Road. I took my exit. And as if for emphasis, as I looked back, I saw that just a car or two ahead of me, continuing down I-40, uh, was that yet trust car. You know, this is just a simple little story. There's nothing about it that is definitively supernatural. But I can tell you that I took courage from that message. I don't know what it meant to the driver of that car, but for me, it, it took on a special message, yet trust, no matter what's coming, yet trust. And I can't help but feel even to this day that, that it was somehow intended for me. I think that God orchestrated the traffic perfectly so that uh, like a flashing neon sign, um, I would have that just those two words of encouragement before I entered my department meeting. So I went to the department meeting and uh, as anticipated, the news was not good. Our entire department was going to be laid off. Um, it was a small department, there were about 20 of us. So I started to walk back to my office after the department meeting was over. And uh, I stopped by the men's room before I went to the office. And, and I ran into John Gray there. John Gray was the head of another department. Uh, in fact, he had been instrumental in hiring me some 17 years earlier. And so John just casually asked, hey Dave, how's, um, how are you doing? 
well, I'm not one who typically complains or whines, but he caught me on a bad day. And I said, John, not doing so great. I just got fired on my birthday. John looked at me a little funny and he said, you know, maybe I can help you with that. It turns out that he had an opening in his department which had qualifications that, that almost perfectly matched my experience. So to make a long story short, after several months, I ended up uh, getting rehired in his department before I ever really had to leave the company. In fact, um, I got a call from HR one morning with a uh, new job offer to start immediately. And about two hours later, my calendar had an appointment with HR uh, for my exit interview. So. Um, it was a little more drama than I would have preferred, but then again, God's timing is always perfect. And uh, that's not, sadly, the only time I've been fired from my job. The, the job I currently have that I've held for 31 years. Um, in any competitive landscape like a, a corporation, uh, decisions are made that sometimes can be brutal on employees. I am here though today standing before you because of a decision made by my company uh, in, the fall, in December of 2014. We were again told that uh, this time it wasn't just the department, it was the entire site in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Uh, they had decided to downsize and to focus their research quarters uh, in two world sites, London and the Philadelphia area. So on December 3rd, we were um, basically all laid off. But a week later, there was a glimmer of hope. Our department head said that there would be some opportunities for transfers, for relocations. And about a week after that, um, I was one of the fortunate ones who was offered a relocation package. So if you told me six years ago that I would be living in Pennsylvania, that I would be serving in the capacity of uh, a volunteer lay pastor, uh, there was, there was nothing in my experience that would cause me to believe that you, I, I, would, I would think, no, you're, you're crazy. That's, that's not going to happen. We had lived in North Carolina for 30 years at that point. I just assumed that I would retire from there. I'd been active in the church and very active in the church in North Carolina, had a series of leadership roles, but I'd never really considered uh, lay pastorship. These weren't plans that I came up with these weren't my goals. So I only deduced that these must have been God's goals for me. There's an amazing quote in the Ministry of Healing, page 479. This is Christ in his life on earth made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plans for him. And day by day, the Father unfolded his plans so should we depend upon God that our lives may be the simple outworking of his will. As we commit our ways to him, he will direct our steps. Now, beloved, I, I realize that for most of us, this passage describes what we might call a stretch goal, a goal that sets the bar so high that it seems almost unobtainable. I realize most of us are so entangled with responsibilities that 
it's difficult for us not to make plans. We have responsibilities to our spouse, to our children, perhaps to our parents. We have obligations to our employer. We have contractual obligations to our landlord or to our mortgage holder. But I think this quote holds up a goal that we should aspire to move towards. Perhaps initially in small ways, baby steps, but then gradually step by step in bigger and more complete ways. So what is the most important characteristic that God is looking for in his servants? Intelligence? Well, that, that never hurts. Writing skills or speaking skills? How about a vibrant personality? How about an incredibly deep knowledge of scripture? I think we'd probably all agree those, those are great qualities. But that's not what God needs. We're talking about the creator, sustainer of the universe. The only thing God needs is a simple willingness for us to follow wherever God leads. You know, if we're not willing, honestly, there's not very much that God can achieve through us. But, but if we are willing, there's almost no limit to what God can achieve by using us. God is always faithful. He's always in control. He's never surprised. Our future is in good hands. We may often be surprised by the events that happen in our lives, yet trust God is in his heaven. I can't say that I have the wisdom to understand God's complete plan for, for my, my life alone, uh, not to mention the lives of others. But I can stand here before you today as a witness to the blessings and the grace that, that God has extended to me over the course of my life. And finally, in, in closing this testimony, I, I'd like to emulate Paul and just say, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The son of God, think about this, the son of God, the creator of this world, set aside a position of honor in heaven and came down to this dark little earth as a helpless child to accept the death, the penalty that should have fallen on me. Again, the book Steps to Christ says the heart of God yearns over his earthly children with a love stronger than death. In giving up his son, he has poured out to us all heaven in one gift. The Savior's life and death and intercession, the ministry of angels, the pleading of the Holy Spirit, the Father working above and through all, the unceasing interest of heavenly beings, all these are enlisted in behalf of man's redemption. Well, I hope you've been blessed by the simple sharing of my, my personal testimony. I hope that you think about maybe composing your own testimony if you haven't written one. 
as you look back over your life. You know what a great project it might be for Westchester to assemble a collection of our personal testimonies. I think, you know, that would be a powerful work that uh, we could share and that would maybe give us a better understanding of how each of us came here together, how God has collected us uh, for a united purpose, whatever he has in store for us. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you of reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Amen.